Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Na'hamaduhu wa nasalli ala Rasulikil Kareem. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet. Peace be upon him. We are continuing our journey to Al-Ghazali's Ihya, and specifically his book of knowledge. Okay, far away. So now we're on the virtues of teaching. Uh, so we'll start with some of the verses of the Quran uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and warn their people when they return to them that they might be cautious. So basically saying that we should warn each other uh, and specifically the scholars are required to warn uh, the people around us and give them guidance. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says when God took a covenant from those who were given the book you must make it clear to the people and not conceal it um, this is an affirmation of the obligation of teaching so this was a part that I found like really interesting because in this section uh, specifically when it comes to the verses from the Quran uh, the two themes that are heavily prevalent are the rewards of those like the reward and status of uh, the scholars but also like the uh, how it's mandatory for a scholar to then teach. If you learn information, then you have to teach it. And it reminds me of the hadith where the Prophet said, that a person, the greatest among you are those who learn the Quran and then teach it. Um, and if a person withholds that information, then they'll be asked about it on the Day of Judgment. Um, so that was something that I found really interesting because going off of that, there's another, <coughs> there's another uh, word, uh, uh, ayah in the Quran where it says whoever comprehends knowledge and then hides it will be fitted with a bridle of fire on the day of resurrection so it shows you how important it is to convey that knowledge when you when you have it you can't be greedy with the knowledge um, and the reason behind that uh, as is written is in here is that you you want to lead the people towards the path of goodness um, and if you withhold that knowledge then those people will go to other sources and have the potential to be misguided um, and I'll get into that a little bit more uh, in a little bit, but um, it continues basically uh, when it comes to the prohibition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took a testimony from the prophets and he takes the same testimony from the scholars saying that, you know, with this knowledge, will you, um, will you accept it as a covenant and then take it to the people and use it to disperse it to the people? And only then will the people be given knowledge. And if a person breaks that covenant, then they'll be asked on the Day of Judgment, why did you withhold that information? As was done to previous nations, where the scholars deliberately withheld information. Then, another ayah says, Who is better in speech than one who invites people to God and does righteousness? Once again, showing the importance of teaching, the Quran once you, uh, teaching Islam once you learn it. And the main reason behind this is because, you know, as we've discussed earlier, is that we learn Islam through the people around us, right? Um, as a society, we rarely like go to the Quran ourselves and see like what the Quran and the Hadith say. You know, we learn how to pray from our parents. We learn how to fast from our parents. We're told these things by our parents, our teachers, which shows us why it's so important for the scholars to teach the people around them, um, because that way Islam continues growing, spreading, and it makes sure that the religion does not die with the scholars. Uh, and then, once again, it goes back to what you were saying with your previous example um, of Imam Ghazani, the analogy where he was on the boat or he was being robbed and he said, you know, please don't take these from me. Uh, it's all that I have. Like, it's all my wisdom. And then the person says, like, what kind of wisdom is this where I can just take it away? Uh, and then he started committing everything to memory and then 
you know, he started delivering it to the people around him. So if a, if a scholar basically learns all this knowledge and then doesn't part it on, when they die, that information only benefited them. It didn't benefit the entire ummah, which doesn't help anyone. Um, so that's why it's so important that the scholar has to continue to serve the people around him and teach the people around him. So then the ayat continue. Um, that no Muslim can benefit his brother better than by passing on a kind statement that reaches him. So speaking kindly towards the people around you and bringing them closer to Islam. Uh, and then the guidance and knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent with me may be likened. So the Prophet sallallahu he says, the guidance and knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent with me is like uh, heavy rain that reaches an area of land on which there was a fertile green plot. When it receives water, it sprouts forth herbs and grasses in great quantity. Then there's another plot next to it that collected the water, and from it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought benefit from the people, and they drank from it and irrigated it and planted their fields. And then there was a third parcel of land that neither held water nor gave any like crops. The first one mentioned was an example of one who put his knowledge to good use. The second was an example of one who benefits others from his knowledge. And the third was one that was deprived of any benefit. The Prophet ﷺ, he also says that um, one who guides someone towards goodness is as one who has performed it. So it shows you that, like, it shows two things. Number one, it shows that when you guide someone towards doing something good, the act that they do gives you the reward for it too. If you teach someone how to pray, and every time that person prays, and you get the reward for it as well, because you were the one who taught that person how to pray. Um, and it likens to this other hadith where Prophet ﷺ, he says, On the day of judgment, Allah will call to the worshippers and those who strove in the way of God, enter heaven, to which the scholars will reply, going off of what I said, due to our knowledge they worshipped and strove, meaning we taught them how to do this, Ya Allah. Then Allah will say, You are like some of my angels, intercede and your intercession will be accepted. And this shows you the value of the scholars in the eyes of Allah and in the eyes of Islam as a whole. Uh, and then they will enter heaven. Uh, and the commentary here is that this standing is for those who transferred their knowledge by teaching, not for those who withheld knowledge. Um, and then furthermore, <coughs> um, the Prophet ﷺ, he says, whoever comprehends knowledge and then hides it, uh, sorry, um, yeah, like I said, um, Whoever compliments it and then hides it will will uh, be fitted with the bride, uh, bridal of destruction rather than getting the reward of it. And then one other point that was that was sort of just a summary that I took from the prophetic reports at least was that you know in order to actually begin the teaching right is that someone has to learn it. So they have to learn it correctly and then teach it because if someone learns the material incorrectly or gives misguided information, then it's worse than if that person just remains silent. Meaning if a misguided person gave information, it's worse than if that person just kept to themselves. Uh, explain this last point some more. So the last point is that, like, if a person who didn't know what they're talking about, an ignorant person went around spreading knowledge, that would be worse, yeah. much worse, than if that person just kept to themselves. Which yes. is why it's important to say that as a, a scholar first has to learn the correct information from the correct sources and then disperse it, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's like a step-by-step -step system. Mm -hmm. uh, and it reminds me of a narration where uh, a man came to, I think it was Imam Madik, and he came from a very faraway land, and he came with a set of written questions for Imam Madik, like 10 questions. 
And he said, oh, Imam Malik, can you answer these questions for me? And Imam Malik, he said, there's only like two of these that I can answer for you. The rest, I don't know. And the man who was asking Imam Malik became really, really angry. He said, like, what do you mean you can't answer these eight questions? Like, I just came from like a very far away town. You want me to go back to my people and say, Imam Malik doesn't know the answer to the rest of these questions? And he said, would it be better for me to give you a wrong source of information than for me to just say I don't know? Meaning that like even the scholars recognize the weight of uh, making sure that every answer they said had uh, was from the Sunnah, was from the Quran. Um, and then we go into the traditions of the companions relating to this topic where um, Ibn Abbas, for example, he says everything, even the fish in the ocean, ask forgiveness for the ones who teach people goodness. Uh, and then one that I found really interesting, uh, let me find it, uh, was that, uh, yeah, so Ikrimah ibn Abi Jahan, he says, there is indeed a price for this knowledge. He was asked what it was, to which he responded, that you bestow it uh, on well-suited to uh, carry it, meaning that when you bestow knowledge, you want to make sure that that knowledge continues to spread and spread and spread, um, and then you would get reward for that. Uh, as a result um, and it serves as a platform of Salaf because there's another narration I can't find it here um, but it was in here um, that there's three things that stay with you after your death uh, and one of them is the knowledge that you spread to other people um, and that can you continue to get reward from that because the person that you teach every action that you've taught them their Im implementation of that you get reward for it. And then if they teach that same thing to others, you continue to get reward for it until the Day of Judgment. And then one last point was that the scholars, they regarded knowledge so much where some of the scholars, for example, they, they, they wept when they went to a town and they weren't asked anything about Islam. For example, Abdullah he says, I visited Sa'id bin Musayyib and I found him weeping and I asked him what has caused you to weep and he said, there's no one seeking knowledge about anything from me. So it shows you like how genuine they were and how uh, how desperately they wanted to share the knowledge with people and how like sad they were when they weren't given that chance to share their knowledge. Um, because, uh, one last point, because they realized that scholars are not only just bringing people towards Islam, but by doing so, they give people their humanity back. Um, Hassan, he says, were it not for the scholars, the people would have become like beasts meaning that through the teaching of the scholars, they bring mankind from the boundary of brutishness to the boundary of humanity. So by teaching people manners, by teaching people uh, adab and akhlaq uh, through the Quran and through the sunnah, they bring people back to their humanities. Yeah. Okay, very good. MashaAllah, <laughs> let me scroll back to see if there's any uh, points to add. Uh, the first narration that you cite uh, read that translation again, the first ayah. That was a strange uh, translation. His words, warn, the pe uh, warn their people when they return to him that they might be cautious, uh, meaning to teach them and give them guidance. Which ayah is that from? It's, uh, one second, sort of fast. What does it say? What number is it? 9 122. Okay, so sort of Tawbah. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, that's fine. I was thinking of a different ayah. Okay, okay, that makes sense there. Um, and so, so there we have one of the, the benefits of knowledge, right? And what is the, one of the benefits of knowledge? It teaches you how to conduct yourself. Yeah. And one of the defaults in conducting yourself is 
you know, in the language of that translation, to take caution about yourself. Uh, what does that mean to take caution about yourself? Uh, sorry, ask the question again. Uh, so, so it says, you know, get, warn the people uh, when when you come back, so that they may be cautious. Or this translation says, so that they may take heed. What does the Arabic say? See, No, that's not the right ayah. Yeah? Okay, but um, how do you want like, uh, try to dig in to understand this idea of knowledge making you cautious about yourself? So when you have knowledge, um, you, uh, you get closer to like what is pleasing towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So okay. you're cautious in that you want every action Yes. To be pleasing towards Allah and to be as perfect as possible. Yeah. And so so you become self-conscious about the things that you're doing. That's, in other words, that's cautioned. Yeah. And and so the opposite of that would be what? Carelessness. Carelessness, negligence, not caring. So ghafla uh, would be negligence. And that is often considered to be the seed for all spiritual ills. Meaning that one theory of human nature is that ghafla this negligence is the cause of all spiritual problems. Someone who doesn't make their prayers, someone who, who eats what they shouldn't, someone who says what they shouldn't, that the core of it is is ghafla. And so the opposite of that is to be conscious of what you're doing and to be tightly conscious of what you're doing, that's taqwa. Uh, let's see. Um, so yeah, then you had the point about the, the fact of withholding knowledge why would scholars withhold knowledge? <coughs> um, what would be so, uh, so, negative and positive reasons? So I think uh, the, one of the one of the reasons that I remember is that, like for example, there were scholars in our history who were punished for uh, some of their teachings, like Imam Abu Hanifa, um, or some of the imams who went to like the Fatimid dynasty, who would preach like a specific method or would preach a specific thing, and then they would get executed for it or they'd get tortured for it um, be, by unjust rulers or what, whatever the case may be. Um, so they hide that source of inf information for themselves to protect themselves or mm -hmm. to not offend someone else. Mm -hmm. So then what if we push back on that and say, if you're, if you're teaching Huck and you're getting tortured for it, then your sins are being forgiven. If you get killed for it, you're Shaheed. Yeah. So why not continue to teach? What would be the pushback for that? Why? What do you mean? Why not continue to teach? So, so we're saying that okay, if I teach this material, I'm going to get tortured. Yeah. So it's better that I don't teach the material. Okay. So I don't get tortured. Now, a critic will say, if you're teaching haq, if you're teaching truth, and your fear is only of Allah, then you should teach it and take the torture. And if they kill you, then you go straight to paradise. But the, the response to that would then be like, but my knowledge dies with me. Okay, so one of that is that my knowledge dies with me. And another way to frame that is that I'm evaluating that I'm evaluating through my knowledge that it's better that I'm aware of what knowledge to teach when. Okay. And so forget the example of the risk of being tortured. Uh, you teach people according to what they can take. Right. And so if you give them knowledge that they can't take, you're going to mess them up. And, and this is commonly the case when you have, you know, uh, a student who wants to become Muslim or is a new Muslim. They want to learn everything. But they don't know what's big or small. They don't know what's beneficial or what's detrimental. 
And so everything from the Quran is it beneficial or detrimental? Everything from the Quran is beneficial. Beneficial, yet it can also be 100% detrimental. Give me an example. How? Uh, okay, translation. Uh, oh, Nabi, like, strive against the unbelievers and kill them where you see them. Okay, so, so explain how is that detrimental? Uh, it's detrimental because if you look at it without any context and, uh, and you just see that face value, you're going to think Islam is a violent religion. Yeah, or it's calling on you to kill, you know, it's calling on you to identify people to as kufar and then to kill them, right? So yeah, exactly. So, I mean, because it's wahi, obviously everything's good, right? But Allah Ta'ala also says that he lets many go astray by it and he guides many by it. Yeah. And so an important point to think about is every sectarian group still con- connects itself with the Quran. Um, any sectarian group of Islam you can think of connects itself to the Quran. They may not follow the Hadith, but their interpretations of the Quran uh, become unsound. And thus they wind up leading people astray. Because the Prophet, peace be upon him, is saying there are going to be people who look like us, they dress like us, they talk like us, and you think they're leading people to paradise, but they're actually leading people straight to hell. So, what would be a bad reason why someone would withhold knowledge? So, give a positive reason. What would be a bad reason? Um, a bad reason, perhaps, uh, that they want money for it or something like that. They yeah. want the gain for themselves. That uh, if I share these things, I might lose my status. You know, and so you find this uh, in our society where not only do we have multiple multiculturalness, multiple religions, but you're free to go or not go. No one cares, right? At worst, people in your community, maybe your family will give you a hard time. And so what happens is that uh, the speaker uh, knows that if they say the wrong thing, they're going to lose their job or no one's going to attend anymore. So then they have to talk about happy things. Because if they talk about the unhappy things, a lot of people are going to leave. In some some communities, it'll be the opposite. But often you have to talk about happy things, soft things, rather than hard things. Otherwise, people are going to leave, donations are going to go down. And then that, the collective, then gives rise to our celebrity preacher culture. Who say all the things you want to hear. If they didn't say the things you want to hear, you're not going to listen to them. We're just going to go to another celebrity preacher. And so what you'll find with celebrity preachers is that they say literally what you want to hear. But if you actually pay attention to them, it's all like sugarcoating. So there'll be some celebrity preachers who, whose overall message is basically that, look at how smart the dean is. Therefore, feel good about yourself. Or, you know, you're broken, you're wounded, it's okay, therefore feel good about yourself. And if you look at the vast majority of messages of celebrity preachers, it's literally that core message. Feel good about yourself. And so that's the risk that happens when you're withholding knowledge, because those same people will not get into tough issues, you know, because they will lose that status, which include, could include losing, losing tremendous amounts of uh, income. Uh, let's see. And then, of course, if you're withholding knowledge, then you're literally risking your own self, but you're also uh, risking leading people astray. And then we have the ayah, you know, who's better in speech, the one who calls to Allah and stands up. He does what is right. And so what is the point here <clears throat> that your knowledge should translate into action? Right. Otherwise, you're just transmitting. I have received these words, now I'm transmitting them to you. Now, if I've received these words and I'm embodying it, then remembering it's going to be easier. 
but it'll be more likely that people will also want to learn from me because I'm embodying good character. And so naturally you're not doing it so people learn from you doing it because of the benefit in your relationship with Allah. Um, and then, yeah, we have the teaching of the Prophet, peace be upon him. There's many narrations in our tradition uh, of the Prophet, peace be upon him, his conversation to Mu'ad ibn Jabal on his way to become governor of Yemen. And one here is that if Allah guides you, even one person that's better for you than all that the universe contains. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then likewise, whoever teaches a small, you know, a certain amount of knowledge is better than the reward of 70 upright people. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, let's see. Um, and then, yeah, you're, the, the reference you made to the analogy of the rain is also very good. And think about what is also the nature of rain. The nature of rain is that it's giving. Right. And one of the best things you can give to someone, then, of course, is knowledge. And then you also narrated the things that, that continue after you pass away. Very, very famous hadith, especially in fundraisers. <laughs> uh, let's see. <clears throat> what else? Um, what does that mean? How do you understand he who leads someone to something good is like him who does it? How would you understand that? Uh... So the person who, the way I understood it was that like the person who leads someone to do something good will get the same reward uh, as the person who actually does mm -hmm. the action. Inshallah, yeah. So if you're calling people to perform a hajj and that inspires them to do hajj, inshallah, they get the reward for hajj and inshallah, you get the reward for hajj. Right. Now, what might be interesting is that if you call people to go on hajj and they do their hajj and it's not accepted you might still get rewarded right. for the fact that they did Hajj, yeah. even though they might not, you know, which, which is very fascinating. But to take this a step further, think of the benefit that someone gets by doing Hajj in terms of the condition of their heart. In Shatla, you will also get that benefit as though you yourself had done it. Okay. Well, so if you're inspiring people to make their prayers, and well, let's say 10 people make their prayers, and it has that effect on their heart, the beneficial effect, and shall you are also going to experience that beneficial effect on your heart as well. So then, what should that inspire a person to do? To to call someone to do good. To keep calling to to what is good. Okay, this is uh, part of the formula of the tablig. They get criticized for not doing the opposite, but part of their central focus is you're always just calling to what is good calling to what is good, calling to what is good, then shall other people do good, they get rewarded, you get rewarded. The criticism they receive is they also do not forbid what is wrong. It's there, it's in the air, but their primary focus is calling to what is good. Um, and then, okay, what are the two envies that are okay? Yeah, I actually had a question about this, which yeah. I was stating, but envy is permissible in only two instances. A person to whom God has given wisdom, he rules with it wisely and teaches it to people, and a person on whom God has bestowed wealth, from which he spends privately and openly. Okay. I had no idea what this meant. Okay, so it's basically, a way to read this is jealousy is part of your human design. It is because of jealousy that uh, that Iblis, a regime, refused to do the sajda. Right. Right? And so, if it's part of your design, how do you make it into something healthy? 
So all of us have appetites, right? You have appetites, and the prescription as Islam is often not don't do it, shift it to a healthy usage. And so we're saying, if you see someone of knowledge, and you think, I wish I could have that knowledge so I could bring benefit to people, that's a good envy. Or you see someone who's wealthy, and you think, I wish I had that wealth so that I could benefit other people. That's a good envy. That's basically what we're saying. So would that not be envy then? Because it's not oh, it's like... A good, it's a good envy. Okay. Yeah. Because like I thought like envy more so was like, I wish I had this and this person didn't have it. That's hasad. Okay. Hasad is forbidden. Okay. Right. But the general idea of envy, we might use the term ghibta or something, but uh, hasad, is the, hasad is essentially saying... I'm unhappy that they got this, and I want them destroyed for it. Okay. That's a really, really bad envy. But so imagine whole scales of envy. At the bottom would be hasad. At the top would be this. Okay. Where it's like you're looking at what someone else has, right? Generally, you shouldn't look at what someone else has. But you're looking at what someone else has, and you have a feeling of longing. So that's like envy or jealousy. But you steer your longings so that if I had that wealth... You know, then inshallah, I would do all this good with it. If I had that knowledge, then inshallah, I would do all good, all this good with. This becomes especially important if you're working in these fields too. You know, if you're working in a field that's lucrative, then it's easy to start getting jealous of people who make more. Okay? And and so this is how you make it healthy. I mean, there's other techniques. You know, say mashallah and all those things. Every time you hear anything good, and then. Um, and then likewise, if you're in the field of scholarship, it's very easy to get uh, jealous of, of what someone else, the knowledge that someone else has. Maybe they had opportunities that you didn't have. And, and so, so this is how to steer it in a healthy way. Uh, let's see, the Prophet peace be upon him said, God's mercy is on my successors. And who are your successors? Those who keep my law and teach them to Allah's followers. So we have a number of teachings on the inheritors of the prophets, peace be upon them, peace be upon him. And the most common one is that it's the scholars. And relate to that, not even necessary scholars, those who are following his way and also teaching that, which is really to your point about teaching and continuing the knowledge the way we learn how to pray from people. Uh, let's see. I really like these narrations where, like the one that you quote from Ibn Abbas. What was it again? Uh, um, everything, even the fish in the ocean, ask forgiveness for the one who teach people goodness. Okay, try to make sense of that. Like, uh, how do the fish feel it fit into this? Uh, I think uh, Ibn Abbas, uh, it shows like he's he's trying to show the status uh, of the people who teach goodness. Uh, that as a result, like everything around them. Um, gains benefit because uh-huh. of the people that they're benefiting, the community that they benefit. Uh-huh. So as a result, everything makes du'a for them. That uh-huh. there's du'a in that. We make du'a for our scholars who, who teach us. Uh-huh. Like, Yeah, I mean, so when we look from a worldly perspective, especially a multicultural perspective, uh, uh, except for the fact that we're Muslim, uh, Islam doesn't really look that different than what everyone else has. You know, speak the truth, be selfless, all those things, you know. There is some sort of uh, success or failure on the other side. But what's also built into our, our belief is that what the Prophet, peace be upon him, was and what he delivered 
even having it in the air provides benefit. And so we have those teachings that never tested it, that, you know, if you start reciting Quran in front of animals, they listen. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I've seen videos that show that, but I haven't seen people test, well, okay, what if you play a different song? You know, do animals listen or they all run away? Right. Test it sometime, you know, start. I have tested it once or twice. And what happens? Uh, so, I was with uh, my friend, he had a parrot. Uh, so, we started reciting Quran to it, and it was, like, chirping a little bit. Like, it was chirping more than it usually does. And then we played, like, some random rap song, and then it just, like, went away. Interesting. <laughs> it just went away, yeah. I would say, even, to, you know, if you ever get some time, try to trust, test that, you know, with scientific uh, 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 legitimacy and yeah. see, see what happens. But then also do with other scriptures being recited yeah. and see if uh, the same thing happens or not. Yeah. But the point we're making related to that whole universe is, is that the, even the spread of that knowledge has some other benefit to dunya that we may not recognize. In the same way that animals are praising Allah, we don't understand the language, the perpetuation of the Prophet, his being, his teaching, is also something that, for lack of a better term, is also providing uh, pleasure to nature, to which they are responding um, by seeking your forgiveness. And to make this point, okay, think of the climate that they're in, they're in the desert. And so Ibn Abbas is saying, whales and fish are, are praying for you. So you're in the desert, and the benefit is reaching that far away from you. Right. You know, inshallah. Uh, let's see, what else? I mean, everything else you said, mashallah, was really good. Angels seek their friendship with their wings when they touch them to gain their favor. Um, and... And I think that's uh, that's it. Okay, very good, Mashallah. All right, any last questions about anything? Yeah, so in the section, uh, like the rational proof section, yeah. um, there was a discussion about uh, the virtue of knowledge where uh, Imam Lazani, he, he says, like, virtue is derived from fadl, which is something in excess or extra. That is, if two things both have a shared trait and one of them is distinguished with excess, uh, it is said of it, it's superior to it, and it has superior, superiority over it. And then he gave an example that, like, a horse is superior to a donkey in the sense that it shares with it the ability to carry heavy burdens, whereas the horse exceeds it in strength, and it can dart forward and wheel back in its gallop and its handsome appearance. Thus, were it to be determined that a donkey is distinguished by a higher market price, it could not be said that it is superior because that price would reflect an excess valuation concerning the body and a diminished value concerning the intrinsic traits. Yeah. So I was a little confused on like what he meant by that and how he was tying it back into the okay. value of knowledge. So, would you agree or understand that there's some knowledge that's more beneficial than other knowledge? Yes. Give me an example. Uh, knowledge of Islam is better than knowledge of anything else. Okay, and then within Islam, give me examples. Um, knowledge of how to pray Salah is more important than, like, knowledge of, like, the, a dua, like a specific dua. Okay. Or even, like, knowledge of Salah Knowledge of ibadah, knowledge of acts of worship, knowledge of prayer is more important than particular theological issues that people you know, wrestle over. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I appreciate that there's uh, knowledge that, of, of, that is of greater benefit and lesser benefit. And there's also knowledge that can be fitzna. So this is Harut and Marut, these angels that come to this community and they're sharing this knowledge but saying, this is a fitna for you. You know, beware how you, how you handle it. But people, however, 
might prefer the knowledge of black magic over the knowledge of dua, right? So that's the valuation they're giving it. And so is it possible to objectively say one animal is superior to another? That's what he's essentially saying. That's right. Uh, naturally, it's harder to compare a horse with a cow because, you know, they're two very different functions. But a horse with a donkey, yeah, perhaps. You know, you can, you can compare in terms of what gives, you know, what is beneficial in terms of the abilities of the horse versus the abilities of the donkey. And, but the valuation people might give it, they might give the donkey a higher value. Or just even think of the story of, of Bani Israel, the children of Israel, when they got tired of manna and salwa. And they said, you know, we want cucumbers and, and beans and, and onions and all that garlic. What did Musa salam say? He said, like, why are you lowering the value of manna and salwa? Yeah. Because it's directly from Allah. Yeah. He's like, do you want something lesser um, giving away what's greater? Do you want something lesser in exchange for what's greater? And, and so according to their valuing of it, you know, f- vegetables was higher than these luxurious meals because they got bored. Now, what is it that allows us to do that? It's the individual or collective nafs of the people for which knowledge comes in to hopefully be applied to straighten out. Make sense? Yeah. What about if we say... Uh, is it possible to say that people are of higher value or lower value? Yeah. How? Prophets alone is in them compared to anyone else. Yeah, so the prophet piece of compared to anyone else is of higher value. What else? Uh, it's sort of related to that. Like, I mean, like Abu Bakr radiallahu an is like the highest uh, sahaba than Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu okay. an. The sahaba are of a higher value than the tabiri. The tabiri are of a higher in, value than... In the, what way? Uh... In their acts of worship, in their knowledge, um, in their closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, in the spiritual realm, yeah, they are higher. Meaning, in matters of justice, not everybody's equal. Yeah. Everybody has to be equal. But in the spiritual realm, spiritual measurement, like, you know, Allah Ta'ala says, the, the ayah we everyone likes to quote, we've created you in tribes and colors, so that you get to know each other, but the best of you are the ones that have the most taqwa. Mm. So, in that way... Uh, there is a spiritual hierarchy at the top of which are the prophets, peace be upon them, and at the top of that are the, the, the five or so prophets, uh, Musa, Isa, Dawood, Nuh, and at the top of that is Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And then uh, beneath the, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, you have the Sahaba, and then the Tabi'in, the Tabi'in, and then in present day, uh, it may be the Awliya of Allah. Uh, although anybody can be one of the awliya, you know that's that's one of the, the the blasphemies that people feel about the last Star Wars movie is that the Jedi leadership seems to no longer be part of like the Skywalker family, but it can be part of anybody, you know. But we're saying spiritually, yeah, anybody has the possibility of becoming one of the awliya of Allah. Okay, and any other questions? Uh, the last thing, um, it was in the I think it was in the elucidation section. Uh, and it was just talking about like the four different types of um, let me find it. The four different types of uh, disciplines of governance. Um, mm-hmm. The first being the prophets Adam uh-huh. uh, whose governance is both uh, uh, inward thoughts and like outward deeds. And then the second being the Khalifa's kings and sultans uh, and their responsibilities over outward deeds. 
And then the third uh, is that of the scholars who deal with intrinsic thoughts. And the fourth is the one who admonishes. So I kind of had two questions here. Number one um, being like, um, just to make sure like after the prophets, then the second highest rank goes to that of the scholars, right? Okay, uh, let's wait until we get there. But um, essentially we're talking about different types of authority. Okay. okay so the prophet, peace be upon his authority is both uh, spiritual and dunya. Okay. Right? Iman and dunya. Okay. Uh, whereas the Sultan, it's dunya without Iman. The scholars, it's Iman, not necessarily dunya. And the fourth would be the people that are sort of at the bottom. Okay. Right? And so if we're looking from an Iman perspective, in theory, the scholars should be uh, right after the Prophet, peace be upon him. But uh, it is still fair to say that a king in the the contemporary world will have more influence um, and in the long term might, might have more influence by sponsoring scholars right but yeah okay. anything else no uh, I think that's it all right let's stop right here subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastafiru karatubu ilayk wa akhir ta'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin